0: If you have your Bibles with, with you tonight, turn with me to Psalm 23, Psalm 23. I shared with you a couple of several weeks ago, we doing some Sunday nights that God had laid on my heart several years ago at a men's conference to continue daily to read through the Psalms and read through the Proverbs, seeing, seeking that wisdom and seeking that actually the poetic language of, of some of the Proverbs and Psalms. And, and I started doing some research into the Psalms and realized that they were just so many different variations of psalms. If we think about psalms and we think about only King David being the writer. Well, in fact, he's not. In fact, he didn't even write half of them. Uh, Moses wrote some. Solomon wrote some. Asaph wrote some. Some of the worship leaders wrote some. And, and, and they're all different. They're different in variation. They're so different in nature. There are, that are some of the psalms that are imprecatory psalms where, believe it or not, people are crying out to God to, to destroy the enemy. The ones that are assailing against them. And then there's, there's psalms where they're just teaching psalms. They're called didactic psalms. There's psalms that are uh, written for poetry purposes. They're all songs with verses. They don't have like what we would see in most of the, the other writings. There's a flow. There's a pattern. And then there's just narrative psalms. There's all kinds of different psalms. And, and, and so God kind of took me to this place where we would begin to preach through the psalms on our Sunday night services. And I would pick different ones that God has been speaking to me through. And Psalm 23 is probably one of the, if not the absolute most read psalms in all of the the book of Psalms. And maybe that's because it's read at most funerals and memorial services. But I've said this many, many times. And I started saying this probably about five years ago. So every funeral that I preach, I I read Psalm 23. But I kind of qualify it before I start reading it to let them know that it's not a psalm of death. In fact, it's not at all even remotely close to that. It's a psalm of trust where David, the psalmist, King David, the shepherd boy, the one who was anointed to be the king to succeed Saul, would come in and be a man after God's own heart. That's what God told Saul. He said, because you turned against me and my precepts, he would seek a man after his own heart. And that was, of course, David, who he anointed many, many years before he would actually become king. And there's a message in that all in of itself. But Psalm 23 is the psalm that's written by David speaking of his absolute trust in God who he's calling the shepherd of the great shepherd. And and to truly understand the Psalms, you have to understand its flow, its poetic flow, if you will, from a song standpoint. I'm not going to sing it tonight, but to understand that it was a song that he was writing to God, that he was declaring his, his confidence in the shepherd. Now, David writing this understood this probably greater than anyone. Why? Because he was a shepherd boy. To understand a shepherd's life was not one like a cattle rustler. It wasn't like a wrangler. It wasn't like some other job as a, as, as a coppersmith or a steel worker or some type of leather maker. That a, that a shepherd was one... It was often passed down from generation to generation. There was extensive apprenticeships. There were long terms of time away from the home. The shepherd would go out and he would stay with the sheep. He didn't just come into a a town and commune with people. Oftentimes, six, eight, nine months at a time, he would be away from his family. He'd be away from people. It wasn't just a job where someone would go and apply and say, I want to keep sheep. It was a calling upon their life. And we know now today when we read into Scripture why that is. is because there's so many incredible parallels that are drawn between the shepherd and, and the sheep and God and us, his sheep. In fact, we're so likened to sheep. If you study the sheep's character, sheep are absolutely terrified of everything. Sheep will be backed into a corner. They won't defend itself. Sheep also offer great companionship. But sheep, if I can say this to you, they're very stupid. Sheep will continue to walk off and leave the comforts and the protection of the, uh, of the fold and of the shepherd's hand. If there's a hole, uh, a sheep is so uh, inquisitive that they will walk over, oftentimes falling over into a hole or into a pit. And that's why the shepherd has his crook. He would reach down and he would pull him out. And you know what the sheep will do? He'll walk right back in that same hole over and over and over again. And before we get too judgmental of a sheep, that's exactly what we do in life. We continue daily, weekly, monthly throughout our life to walk off in some of the same destructive behaviors over and over and again. All the while we call God, call, call us out. God, bring me out. He reaches down with his long arm. Aren't you glad his arm is so far that you can never get away from his hand? And he'll pull you out of the pit. As you see in Psalm 40, he'll set your feet upon a rock. He'll put a new song in your heart, a new direction in your life. And you know what we do? We get out, we sing it for a while, kind of like Tyler said, and then we walk off in the same hole. But there's something else unique about the sheep-shepherd relationship. Jesus spoke this many, many times. And John is the book of John is known as the, as the I Am book. It's, I am the good shepherd. I am uh, the door. I am the bread of life, and so forth and so on. And as he declares to his church that he is the shepherd, there's a relationship between the sheep and the shepherd so much that the shepherd will give his life for his sheep. He will lay his life down. That's why David, when he went to face the, uh, the, the, the giant, Goliath, he had confidence. Why? Because he had placed his life on the line to fight off bears and lions many times before. He was not afraid to lay his life down. Also, something unique about the the shepherd-sheep relationship is a shepherd would actually build the the sheepfold. And something neat about the sheepfold, when they would do a hasty sheepfold, unlike a rock wall or a brick wall, they would do so with sticks, and the shepherd would take the sticks, and, and he would sharpen the edges of them, and he would face them inwardly. And it wasn't, watch this, it wasn't to keep necessarily the sheep from going out, although there was a purpose behind that because it it would prick them and it would keep them to the center of the fold. Why? Because the Bible says that anyone that will come in not by the door is a thief and a robber. He said anyone that comes over the wall and doesn't come in by way of the door, why? Because Jesus says, I'm also the door. Anyone that doesn't come in by way of the door to the sheepfold, he is a false prophet, he's a liar, he's an accuser. That's why we have to be careful as men of God to manage our home that we don't allow influences to come in through the back door through through the through the difficulties of internet and television and things like that we hear that all throughout our life be careful what you allow into your home well that's how the enemy is gaining access into your family now he's not coming in through the front door and hey, hey I want to come and take your family's life he's coming in through the subtleties of television through movies, through music and through the internet and, and, and not that it's all bad but it's a gateway guys to allow the enemy to come in and to permeate our homes and to break down everything that God's trying to build up but watch this The shepherd would also become the door to that sheepfold. And here's what he's saying. He said, if you're going to come in and get get my sheep, you're going to come through me. It wasn't a cocky or arrogant statement. It was his absolute confidence in his ability to defend those sheep. Now, not, not all shepherds were, were you know, uh, above being hurt or injured and killed. In fact, it was a very common thing. It didn't, they didn't have a high mortality rate as far as, you know, that type of lifestyle. A lot of them were killed by wolves and a lot of them were killed by wild animals. But it was the point that they were willing to give their life, to lay down their life for the sheep. Why? I've often wondered that. Why would a shepherd give his life for the sheep? I'll tell you why. One, it was the measure of their wealth. If you look into patriarchal times, times of Abraham and Job and some of those guys, their wealth was measured. Their their identity was determined by sheep and, and, and livestock. In fact, guys, when you would go and ask for a woman's uh, a girl's hand in marriage, you had better have a sheep or something, a goat or something that you could offer the, the father as a payment or a dowry to be able to ask for her hand. Just to go and ask her. Some of y'all are already laughing because that's kind of cool. It's just fine girl across town. Hey, brother, I give you two goats for your girl, you know. but But the thing of it is, is that's how they did it then. And, and, and believe it or not, in some of the wealthier of families, if someone would go ask a dad to marry his daughter, you, you, some other times it would be 200 head of sheep would be the cost for his daughter. It was based upon his name. It was based upon the bloodline and, and his wealth and so forth and so on. But the reality is that shepherd would become the door. And here's what he was saying. And remember those sticks that were pointed inwardly. Here's his confidence level. He was saying that if a wolf or if an animal came over the sheepfold wall and came in to get the sheep, he wasn't concerned about him getting in there. He was only concerned that he couldn't just jump right back out. Why? Because he had absolute confidence that once that animal got inside of that sheepfold, he could take him down and he could kill him. So the inward sticks were not only to keep the sheep away from the walls, but it was also so that if, if the wolf did jump in and went to thinking he was supposed to have a, an easy dinner, he has gotten himself into quite a precarious situation. Why? Because he couldn't just walk back out. He had to come through that door. And, 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 and the, the parallel here is a beautiful thing. The enemy can't touch you unless the enemy comes through the door, and the door's name is Jesus Christ. You and I are sheep. We make some really, really dumb decisions in life. Amen? But you understand that God knows that about us. He knows our character. He knows our weaknesses. What we've got to be careful to do is to stay in the flock. I am an under-shepherd of Jesus Christ. I am not the shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd of Christ. God has called me to shepherd this particular flock. But understand something. I'm not the door. I'm not the way in. I'm not the way out. Jesus is. I'm nothing more than an understudy of him, and I am trying to oversee the the actions and the activity of this particular sheepfold. And the goal of every sheepfold is to duplicate and multiply and produce more sheep. Sheep make sheep. It's our calling in life to produce more sheep. And to have more under-shepherds. I love the fact, the story, and I'll go into Psalm 23. I love the, the way that the shepherd, when he would go in town for a furlough and, and regain all of his supplies, he would go into town and there would be a major sheepfold. And Marty, that sheepfold may house 20, 30 different small sheepfolds. There could actually be a, about a thousand or, or more different sheep in this one area in town. And the shepherd would go into town and he would go get a bath and he would go get a good meal. He might get a night or two, a good night's sleep and a bed or whatever. And he would leave uh, the, his sheep with the porter. The porter would be there and he was an understudy, if you will, of a shepherd. One day he might be a shepherd. And in that community, he would be lo- overlooking several different uh, sheepfolds within that one. And so there's sheep all in this place. But what's so cool about this, and I saw a video on this one time, when the shepherd would come out of the town, out of the community, to go and grab his sheep to go back out to let them graze in the pastures, he would come out and he would call them and they would recognize his name. All the sheep would sit tight with exception of his personal sheep. And they would just make a line and walk out the gate and follow their shepherd. Because the Bible says, my sheep know my voice and I'm known of them. You see, we have to listen out for when God is calling us out into the to the world to do things. That's why I say it's so important for you and I to realize there's a calling on every one of our lives. It's not about, and I hope you get this, church is not just coming into the house and being fed. There's a reason that you're being fed. There's a reason that you're being equipped. It's called the equipping of the saints so that you and I can survey our life and begin to say, hey, God, what is it you want me to do? What's my role in this big story that you're writing called life? And what is it that you want me to do? In Psalms 23 I believe, can help you to understand that. If you have your Bibles in Psalm 23, I want to read a few verses, and I want to show you some pretty cool things. Psalm 23, verse 1. And I'm reading from the King James. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Watch this. For his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, surely, definitely, you can count on it, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David is making a declaration in his absolute total trust in the one who is governing, who is feeding, who is protecting, who is guiding him through life. He has come to a place where he has acknowledged that the Lord Jehovah God is his shepherd. And as he declares that outwardly through song, the Lord is my shepherd, come, I shall not want. Now understand, that word want doesn't mean like you and I say, well, I want a new motorcycle or I want a new car or I want a swimming pool or I want a house or I want a new job. No, when it stands to reason in the Hebrew language that the want there was the context of something that, that, that meant you didn't have to beg for it. That there was a, a guarantee that the shepherd would feed his sheep. Guarantee. It goes back to what I said before. It was so important for that shepherd to make certain that those sheep were healthy, that they would, that they would stay together, that there was warmth, that there was care. Everything was protected. And David has come to a point in his life through his going in and his going out, his overseeing a kingdom, his failing with Bathsheba, his his restoration through uh, the prophet when he began to cry out to God and said, I failed God, I've sinned against him and him alone, and how God still used him. It didn't remove all of the things that he brought upon himself through his sin, but he came to a place where he realized, like in Psalm 51, where he says, renew the right spirit within me. He began to realize, That if God were truly the shepherd of his life, a relationship that he knew probably far better than anyone else, he said, if I can acknowledge that God is my shepherd, then there is nothing that I'll ever want for. He has met all of my needs according to his what? His riches and glory. In fact, the Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. The reality is, is, if we give our life over to Jesus, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, if you live by the principles and precepts that God has outlined in his word, you will never stand and want for anything. It's a guarantee. It's a principle. It is as real as me dropping this and it hitting the floor. It's a law of gravity. You can't defy the law of gravity. Just like you can't defy the law of God's promises. They're yes and amen in him. I don't, I don't have to question that. It's a guarantee. It's just like tithing. And we, we say this through the time that we spoke about stewardship. You know, tithing is a principle. It's, it's simply a principle. It's a guarantee according to Malachi 3.10 that if I do this, then he will open up the windows of heaven. Why? Because he realizes that's something we hold on to, hold on to very tightly in our life. But we have to get to a point where we just simply trust him, the shepherd, realizing that he owns it all anyway. I'm going to tell you something, guys, just as a sidebar to that. When we can ever get to the point where we can truly embrace the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I promise you, Everything that happens, all of these things that are going on around you and I, can I tell you something? God is on the throne. Nothing has happened that God has not known about, allowed, and done for His sovereign purpose. I may never understand it this side of eternity, but you know what? It cannot move me. As Paul said, none of these things move me. And when I realize, how I many of you remember when you thought your parents? Could do anything, and were your absolute protection. How many of y'all remember that as little kids? Okay, five of you. So some of your parents didn't make you feel that way. Okay, mine did. I just remembered at night going to bed, and I felt like if Mom or or, or or Dad would come in there and just just tuck me in. How many of y'all still get tucked in? Okay, a couple of you. How many of your husbands and wife tuck you in? Never mind. Don't go there. Never. Mind. I just felt like everything was okay. I remember one time I was in the bed and I had this uh, little bulletin board and, and and there was some reflection of something and it was bright and I could see it and I, I thought it was like some evil something over in the corner and I am you know, Mom, Mom, and I'm calling, I call and she's right like right next to the to the room I'm in. I think I was like 17. And um, she she came running no, I was I was sixteen, but anyway, she came in And and I'm like, you know, what is it? What is it? I mean, parents just immediately respond. You know that scream that your children do, and you just respond. And you know what's interesting? When they cry out to you like that, you don't go back and start to survey the things they did wrong, the things they didn't do so well. They maybe didn't study today. They didn't do well in school. Maybe they made some smart comment. No, no, no. When you cry out as a child, mom and daddy's on the way. Because that's what mamas and daddies do. See, When the sheep would begin to cry, there was a different type of bellow that they would make when they were in danger. And the shepherd would leave the 99. Luke 15 is the parable about that very thing. He would leave the 99 to go after the one, Marty, that was in trouble. Guys, that's not just a parable. That is a metaphor. That is a parallel in our life. That Listen, right here today, we're gathering together in the name of Jesus, and he's in this place. But watch this. When one out there yells for him, he's going to respond to them in the same way that mom and daddy, the same way the shepherd would. Why? Because he cares about his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Look at verse 2. He makes me to lie down. In green pastures. I was reading this one time, David, and, and it hit me. I knew I'd seen this somewhere before. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Again, you got to understand the Hebrew language here to understand some of the declaratives in this verse. It didn't mean that he made you in a sense that he pressed you down. I, you can almost get a mental image of, of God walking around going, Lie down, sheep, push, you know, pushing them down. That's not what it is at all. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. That's why I like the poetic language of the King James. He maketh me. That doesn't sound so tough, does it? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Hold your spot right there, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Look look with me in John's gospel. Bless you. Bless you again. Lord, help me remember what this verse. I think it's John 6. Let me, let me. Yep. Praise Jesus. Look at John 6 and verse 10. I'll tell you what, let me back up so I can put it in perspective. This is the feeding of the 5,000. Verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There's a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But listen to what he says. But what are they among so many? What a beautiful question that is. Verse 9. Or that was verse 9, wasn't it? Yeah, verse 9. There's a lad here which has five barley loaves, two small fishes. What are they among so many? Watch watch what happens in verse 10. This blew me away, David, the first time I saw this. And Jesus said, make the men to sit down, period. Stop right there. Now look at verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves when he had given thanks. He distributed it to the disciples. The disciples uh, to them were set down, and likewise the fishes uh, as much as they would. If you go from verse 10, part A, To verse 11, it's an absolute easy flow, makes total sense, you lose nothing. But but, but why does he put the next part in that verse? Look at that with me. And Jesus made them to sit down, make the men sit down. Look what it says. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in the number of about 5,000. Has has anybody ever, ever seen that? Have you ever noticed that? It absolutely doesn't belong. It doesn't make any sense. He got the food from the lad, the little small lunch. What is this to so many? And Jesus spoke, have the men to sit down, period, end of story, end of comment. And there was much grass in the place. And the number of them was about 5,000. It absolutely doesn't belong. Surely there's got to be some kind of typo here in Scripture. Well, it just so happens, if you look back at the, uh, uh, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's in there. I already looked it up. And why does it matter? Let me tell you why it matters. Hold your spot there again and go back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Let me tell you something. It's there intentionally. And here's what it means. See, in Middle Eastern culture, there were very few areas that would have had lush green grass at all. And also, like I've told you guys before, to be a student of the Word, you got to understand something. Dinners, when dinners occurred in in Hebrew culture, it wasn't about just eating a, a Big Mac or eating a meal. It wasn't about just going and having a dinner. See, we today live to eat, don't we? In that culture, and still today in many, many cultures, they eat to live. And so that meal that they had during the day was maybe the one time of the day that they would gather together as a family. And one of the things that they would do in in Hebrew culture, and they still do it today, is they would sit down to eat. Oftentimes they would actually lie down. They would lounge. First thing the daddy would do, Lee, is he would say, Is everything good with you? Is everything good with you? Are we good? And I'm paraphrasing. Is, is everything all right with us? Has your day been good? Are we good? Is our relationship open? That's the first thing that we do. Then he would pray over that food. And I don't mean like a God is great, God is good. Or if you're Asian, God is great, God is nice, let us thank for the rice. I don't, nothing like that. It was, it was something more. It was fervent. It was, it was, thank you, Lord, for this provision. Because just like I talked to Jeremy the other day in Jamaica, a lot of these people don't know where their next meal is coming from. And so when they get that meal, that meal is a celebration. And it's a celebration, a declaration, and it's also, watch this, it's a reconciliation. Meals in the Hebrew culture, then and now, is about reconciling. That's why Jesus said in, in, in Revelation chapter 3, He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door and let me in, I will come in with him and he with me, and we will sup together. We will have dinner. We will dine. That's why at the Last Supper, there was a point of reference there. He was actually reconciling Judah because he knew that Judah would betray him. And so Judah had the place of honor right next to the Lord Jesus Christ at the meal. You see, the meals meant something. But let me parallel that now with sheep. The greatest thing a shepherd could do for his sheep was to offer them green pasture. But when he asked them to lie down, he wasn't asking them to eat, was he? He was asking them to get comfortable. It was as if he was saying, come over here and follow me. I have prepared a place for you. And we see that in the latter verses. In the presence of mine enemies, lie down here. Take a load off, he was saying. Lie down in the padded green grass. And then we get over here in John chapter 6. And Jesus is doing the same thing because he's still the shepherd and he's still feeding sheep. That's what he does. And there was very little to offer, much like was the case in these cultures. There wasn't a lot of grassy pastures to be found. If there was one found, they would have to take care of it. They would have to make sure it was, it was watered. There was all sorts of things, aqueducts and things that they could do to make that green grass. And Jesus, in John chapter 6, he says, give me the food. Hey, have the man sit down, period. And there was much grass in the place. Let me tell you, that's not there by accident. God is saying, not only am I supposed to be your provision, but I want you to be comfortable because that's what a shepherd does for his sheep. You see, God goes to the extreme for you and I. If we'll just let him, if we'll just trust him. If you truly knew how much God wanted for your life, it would frighten you. If you knew, husbands and wives, how great your marriage could be, can anybody attest to that, what God has done in their marriage lately? Yeah. This is where all the men go. You have to do that, by the way. It's better than you can fathom. I, I tell couples this a lot of times when I'm talking to them. I say, what if I told you that the person sitting next to you could be the person of your dreams? It can be that way if you do it according to God's principles and precepts. What if I told you that coming into church could be better than you could fathom? Oh, why? Because somebody else is preaching besides Mark? No. But because I would challenge you to come into church with the joy of your salvation, bring it into the house ready to worship. Hey, listen, if you don't get your worship on on Sunday, it's not the band's fault. It's because you have not prepared your heart for worship. That's why it's so important when we listen to songs like Heart of Worship back in the day. You know, when the music fades and all is slept away, it comes back to a, just a bare tax heart of worship. Let me tell you when you'll start to worship God. When you realize how dirty you were, how unholy, how lost and undone, and how he came and pursued you with his precious, perfect love, and he breathed in you the breath of life, and you now are seated already in heavenly places. When that happens, you can't not worship. I don't care if if David's up here just beating on the drum and somebody comes up here that cannot sing, has no business singing, and feels like that cats are fighting under rocking chairs and they're singing just terrible noise. You can worship because it won't be about what anybody else does. It'll be what you bring into the house. Let me tell you something. When we will have revival, it's when the people get revival in their home and in their own heart. And they come in, the preacher won't have to preach. It won't matter. When you and I realize as the band comes, listen to me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. The still waters is a place of of safety. Do you know why? I'm glad that you asked. Because that's where the shepherd could listen out. And he could hear if the wolf was coming. He could hear if the predators were coming. See, the still waters was a place where they could could drink water. Jesus says, I am the water. I'm the living water. Do you see the parallels here? He's drawing us to the still waters where we can listen out for his voice. We can hear the shepherd when he says, hey, y'all come and gather around. Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Everybody say, I shall not want. Say it again. I shall not want. See, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He fed the 5,000. He said, sit here, for there was much grass in the place. He wants you to be comfortable. He wants you to to feel blessed about your relationship with him. He wants you to know that he's gone the extra, extra mile. He said, why is that important? Does God always want me comfortable? No. In fact, sometimes he wants us very uncomfortable. Otherwise, he wouldn't have sent the comforter. But then the comforter comes in and what does what? He comforts us. God is about our comfort. I'm not talking about environmental. I'm not talking about air conditioning. I'm up here sweating like a bull moose. But understand something. I realize that my God is greater. And there's nothing in this world that can happen to me that God is not known about and, and foreordained and has a plan for. There's no weapon formed against me that shall prosper. I know Max knows this. In the military, one of the things that, that military guys know, one of the first things they learn is they take care of their guys. They don't eat until their guys eat. A great leader won't go and jump to the front of the chow line and say, Come on, guys. I'm fin-. No, no, no. He will step back and he will let his soldiers eat first to make sure they're okay. You guys all right? Soldiers, when they, have, when they have young men that are coming in the military, they'll find out if they're married. They'll take a sheet and they'll write down everything about them. How many kids you got? What's going on in your home? What's going on in your life? Where's your mom and dad live? Are your folks living? I mean, they'll, they'll gather all of that intel, if you will, about that soldier because they want to be able to comfort him because they realize that if that young man is comfortable, if he gets a good night's sleep best he can, gets a good rest and gets some good food in his belly, that his morale will be through the roof and he'll be willing to go out and he'll attack the enemy with full force. We are in the army of the Lord. And there's a battle raging around us. And God knows everything about you. He knows your fears. He knows your little nuances. He knows your, your, your little uh, uh, promises that you've made that you've not kept. Keep. He knows your feeble prayer life. He knows your lack of discipleship. And He loves you anyway. And he wants you to be, He wants you to feel good about your relationship with Him. I wonder tonight, can you say the Lord is my shepherd? My shepherd, not 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 Russell's shepherd. Not Charles's shepherd. He's my shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He laid down his life for me. Man, he loved me when I wasn't worth spitting on. Do, do you get that tonight? Do you get that he lets you live in a home with a roof over your head and a refrigerator and a closet and a car? And because of that, you are among the wealthiest people in the entire world if you have only what I just named. You are in the top 1% of the entire world if you have a home, a refrigerator, and a car and a bed to sleep in. God's been good to us. And it can be better. But Mark, what about what's going on in the nation? What about on Facebook? I saw where they, they painted the, the White House rainbow. None of these things move me. Because the truth is, is, if I look back into Genesis, that rainbow had a stronger meaning long before anything else like that was ever declared. It was called the Noah Covenant. And it was a promise from God. That he'll never destroy the earth again with water. Hey, whatever the enemy means for one thing, God can turn it for good. You can't change truth. Mark, where do you stand on these things? I stand firmly in the middle of the inerrant, infallible, indescribable word of God. But my calling, my life's calling is to reach those who are on the outside to equip the ones who are on the inside to bridge the gap between those who don't understand that there's a a hell to shun and a heaven to gain God help us church not to, to look at some little area of wrong over here and place it right here and say now that's taboo, that's really wrong read your Bible, gossiping and backbiting is a putrid abomination in the sight of God can we do it every day? we don't think twice about talking about folks You want to change the world? Go love somebody that can't love you back. Go reach out a hand to a person that don't think the way you think. Hug a neck of somebody who just makes you nervous being around them. God will use that and he'll magnify it and he'll change the life through it. Don't forget where you came from. We gotta love adulterers. We gotta love, love addicts. We gotta love homosexuals. We gotta love preachers. We gotta love Democrats and Republicans. We gotta love people on the outside. It, what I'm telling you is we gotta love all people. Because if we stand up and get in this long argumentative, hatred driven debate, man, we've lost our opportunity being to share the gospel with them because we're just a religious idiot fanatic. We're digging ourselves a hole, guys. Get up and do something. God didn't save you to just sit back and chill and be redeemed. Oh, no, no, no. He redeemed you for a work. Jesus said, Greater works will you do in my name. Works. There's an effort. Every man or woman of God he ever called, he said, Arise, get up, and go. Cry out. Don't be like Jonah and argue that, hey, I don't want to go save, I don't want you, God, to save the Ninevites because they're putrid. You'll find yourself running from God to a point where he will grab you and bring you back and correct you. And you're still going to go to the Ninevites. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know where you stand tonight with the Lord. I don't know if you can call him your shepherd. Because the truth is, is if you've not been saved, you're not a child of God tonight. He's not your shepherd. He's not ruling over your life. He's not protecting you. Because you've chosen not to step inside of that sheepfold. So if you're not a child of God, I invite you tonight to invite him into your heart. To know him personally. To allow him to be the Lord, the shepherd of your life. Pray this prayer with me. Not to me not because of me but in faith and by his grace you can be born again tonight say dear god in heaven i'm a sinner i believe in jesus and i want to ask jesus to come into my heart to forgive my sin jesus will you save me be the lord of my life be the shepherd of my life. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you pray tonight and ask Jesus Christ into your heart, I would just like to be able to pray for you. I'm not going to come to you. Lift your hand right now. Just lift it up high real quick and back down real quick. How many of you could say, Mark, I've not been walking under the covering, under the protection of the good shepherd, I've been trying to do things my own way. Just be honest tonight. Just lift your hand up real quick. Lift it up real quick. God bless you. Hands are going up all over the room. Hey, we're all that way. Let's do this. As I invite you to stand to your feet, I don't know what they're going to sing. This altar's open. If you want to just find you a place down at this altar with your husband, wife, with your friend, with your son or daughter. Just get back to that heart of worship where you just acknowledge and realize that God is loving you to the uttermost. He has saved you, redeemed you. He wants you to worship Him tonight. And you worship Him through prayer and through engaging Him. I'm going to stand right here. If you just want to come and and just shake my hand and try to walk away. But if you want to come pray, when you stand up, don't even think about it. Just come. The doors of our church are open tonight. If you'd like to be a member of our church, we'd love to have you. So if you would, stand to your feet. Some families are already coming.